Welcome to Bible study. This is Nikrita, your host. I'm very happy to be with you again and uh, thank you for tuning in with us. Today again I have a full panel here and I'm uh, so thankful to all of the people coming on board for uh, this Bible study and I'll start uh, from uh, my right side here. Uh, Lija, welcome to the program. Thank you for being here. Helen, thank you also to come with us today. It's a delight. We miss you for a few weeks and I know that God uh, Uh, is really good to you, you know, uh, yes. because you've been through some uh, health uh, challenges, but it's very good to have you with us today. On the other side, uh, we got uh, Pastor Will Grobler. Thank you for coming with us. Uh, to be here. And Ron, thank you for have, having you with us again. Thank you. Good to be here. Now, Brenton is our facilitator for today. And Brenton, thank you for uh, uh, taking us through this uh, wonderful Bible study. It's a privilege and a pleasure, Nick, to be here, and we simply ask that the Holy Spirit will uh, guide us in our panel discussion today. And Brenton, I will, uh, I will pass it straight uh, to you right now. Good morning to our listeners. Over the last few weeks, you may have uh, tuned in and listened to the various discussions that we have had on the subject of Christian unity, unity in Christ. This week's Bible study concentrates on images of unity. I don't know what an image means to you personally, but the Bible is full of metaphors and, and uh, spiritual lessons that we can draw from the unity that Christ prayed for. You might remember back in John 17:3, a few weeks ago in our discussion, we said that this is eternal life that they may know you God the Father and Jesus Christ whom you have sent the whole essence of unity is wrapped up in knowing Christ and knowing God the Father so for our listeners today and for ourselves as panel we would like to share something from the word of God in regard to some of these metaphors and images that we find first of all I'm going to invite our panel to have a look at first Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 And uh, I wonder, Helen, whether you would read First Peter 2, verse 9 for us. Then what we will do is try and unpack this a little bit by comparing it with some Old Testament scriptures, mm -hmm. uh, which we find in the book of Exodus, but we'll come to that in a minute. But it is very important to see the connection between Old Testament unity and how it was viewed and New Testament. So, Helen, could you share with us First Peter 2, and verse 9? Yes, I'd be happy to. But just before we open the word, could we just have a short word of prayer? Yes, yes Before we, we do, let's mm. pray, shall we? Mm. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity we have of discussing this important topic today. Thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit to enlighten our hearts and our minds. And may each of the words that come from us today and the meditation of our heart be pleasing to you and you alone, I pray in your name. Mm. Amen. 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 1 Peter 2 verse 9. 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. Helen, can you yes. just share it with us, please? Yes, surely. It <coughs> says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Thank you, Helen. Uh, Will, could you read Exodus chapter 19 verses 5 and 6? What we are going to do in our time together in Bible study this morning is as we usually do, compare scripture with scripture. I want to see whether there are some similarities between these two texts, one taken from the Old Testament and one taken from late in the New Testament. Thank you, Will. Exodus 19 from verse 5. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then he shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Verse 6, and he shall have unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Thank you, Will, and thank you, Helen. Can you see a connection between these two here? There's one, two particular words that are mentioned in both of these texts that we have just read. What are they? Can anyone uh, share them for me or with me? Chosen generation. Yes, that's one. Peculiar Regia. people. Keep going. Yeah. Pecu peculiar peculiar people. people. Also, both mention a holy nation. Holy yeah. nation. Both mm. mention a holy nation. Yes. Any other? I love the thought of peculiar people, but I love the other thought in Exodus where it said, 
a peculiar treasure. Yes. Isn't that beautiful? And, yes. and also the fact that we are chosen. This isn't about us. No. This is about God. Thank you, Helen. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Mm-hmm. Thank you. We'll come to those in a minute. We're, we haven't quite reached that point yet. We're mentioning about peculiar people and the chosen generation. What that means to be peculiar in the context of spirituality? Because it's, uh, it's very nice to think of being special. But I think being special is not because we are different than other people, but because uh, we have a calling from God for a special time we live in. And I think we live in these days of the end of history of this earth. And God chose these peculiar people to send that message, to deliver that message to all the nations, to all the people. And I think that's very important. I did read next somewhere where talking about peculiar people, it meant um, one's own property. Thank and you, I thought Helen. that was great. The Greek word is periposis, yes. which means yes. to take unto oneself or peculiar yeah. or my special possession. So we're people that belong yes, to God. we're people that belong to by God. Christ. Okay. Mm. Rowan, what, uh, what thoughts have you got on this? Yeah, I think the the peculiarity that we are talking about, I mean, which which comes from specifically from God's grace, but but when 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 we're talking about it from our point of view, it makes us different from 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 everyone else, mm. not because of who we are, like uh, what Nick has just said, not because there's something that you can see on our face or or, or, or something that is physical or outward. But there's something inside us that makes us a peculiar people in terms of how we respond to God, in terms of how we desire to do what God has given us to do. Therefore, this, this verse is saying so that we can show to the world, you know. So we have something from mm-hmm. us which is manifesting outward to show the world, and that makes us a different mm-hmm. people. So what is it that is in us that makes it different? I think uh, first and foremost what is in us uh, above all is faith that faith we have in Jesus and and by that faith we get linked up to um, a number of other things including that by that faith we have the desire to do his will yeah. yes. because we've been promised uh, a grace and not just a promise we also have the experience of grace we are desirous to do what God would want us to do Beautiful. thank you everybody for your comments there just going back to it again, another way of describing Exodus 19, 5 and 6 is this. A person God has acquired for himself is really the literal translation of that particular verse. But what is interesting is that very, very close after this, immediately the people say, all the Lord has said, we will do. Mm. Now, <laughs> I wonder whether anyone can comment on that. What is God actually doing here? The people are saying, we, we will obey the Lord. But we know that very shortly after this, within a matter of weeks, they were dancing around a golden calf. So what what is the message that God is trying to get through to these people, do you think? Nick, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, as you pointed out, uh, quite a few times God uh, was displeased with the people who he chose, you know, because he asked one thing them to do, and they were finding themselves doing totally different things. And Human nature is um, expressed, you know, in uh, everything what we do. That's why we cannot depend on ourselves. We need to connect with God to the Holy Spirit. How does it make you feel to know that you are one of God's special people? And what responsibilities do you believe come with knowing that you are God's special treasure? Makes me feel very special, very special, very humble to think the king of kings even you know the creator of this whole universe looks down and he said i've chosen you you're special to me you know he's my abba he's my father and and i just it it does something to me inside to think that somebody considers that i am worthy through him to have that love thank you helen uh, rowan i yeah. think you were going yes, to make a um, comment i think on one hand yes it makes you feel special but on the other hand, I think it makes you feel special, but with a caveat, a bit of a, of a warning in that, because there's a chance to be, uh, you know, overconfident about the, how special you are before God to a point where you, um, you, you, 
that, that overconfidence, you know, stops you from responding to God the way you're supposed to because you're mm-hmm. becoming complacent. Yes. Uh, but at the same time, that 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 um, special feeling that we have, I think it goes beyond just a feeling. It it also gives you a lot of responsibility because you know that uh, being being chosen to be special comes with a certain things that you have to do with, with the way that you have to respond to God, uh, which has to be different. And it gives you a responsibility, which again brings you back to God because you know that you cannot carry out that responsibility without Him. Thank you. Um, Will, can you read verse 12 of First uh, Peter 2 for us? Yes, because I believe this summarizes really what Peter's talking about in verse 9. Yes. I'm thinking about that special purpose, by the way, Mm-hmm. Uh, the special purpose uh, from verse 9 in First Peter 2 says that we are to proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are, we are there not like a club, but uh, certainly as a, uh, w- with a purpose of um, winning souls to the Lord. Did you say from verse 12? Yes, if you could just read verse 12 for us as well, thanks. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. How do we interpret that particular text, uh, panel? It's necessary to live righteously with God's help. Otherwise, we just become a club, I think, Brenton. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Will. Any other comments? If God chose us to be his chosen people, peculiar people, we have to have a very strong relationship with God in love because he first loved us. And uh, as Rowan said, we have a big responsibility to be able to show around us the love of Christ, to be like him. And people seeing in us the good deeds they will be attracted to Jesus. Mm. Thank you for your comment. Another thought that's just occurred to me, which uh, I'm sure our listeners would um, like to um, take on board, is this. When Peter wrote this particular epistle, the difference between a Christian and a Gentile or a heathen was enormous. The difference in behaviour, the difference in moral standards, the, the difference in everything was huge. How do we know that? Will just read it to us. Who has called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Now, in 2018, I would suggest we live in a very dark world, spiritually. Mm -hmm. Therefore, what is God calling us to? The challenge, not only for us as a panel, the challenge for those of us who are listening is, what is God calling us to? He's calling us to show his marvellous light. The darkness is all around us. We don't need to reflect on that. We already see it for ourselves. But our lives, both morally, spiritually, and in every other way, should be something that honours and glorifies God. Mm-hmm. Any other comments before we move yeah. on, Pamela? Can I just mention, yes, if we certainly. go back to Exodus 19, 5 yes, and 6 that you yeah. read before, and <clears throat> Rowan was also saying about responsibility, Exodus nineteen five starts off by saying, Now therefore, if... Mm. You will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant. Then you shall be a peculiar treasure. So there's a responsibility. Because they obey his voice and keep his covenant, then they are a special treasure. I think there's a responsibility there as well. And that small word, if, means we have that choice. Just as the children of Israel said, yes, we will do what God asks, and we were talking before, Brenton, I believe that their motives were sincere, yes. but distractions came into their life. I think the key now is that when we say, yes, I will obey God's voice, I will keep his covenant, but I cannot do it by myself. Mm. And mm. that was where they fell down. Yes. They actually tried on their own. It didn't work. It doesn't work with us. We, we can only keep his commandments, his covenant, and obey his voice through the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And that means a daily relationship, a moment. Moment by moment walk with God. Thank you, yes. Helen. Uh, the other interesting point is if you turn to the book of Joshua, and we're not going to, but in studying this morning, um, I realized that right at the end of Joshua's life, he um, said to them, Choose you this day whom you will serve. But God makes a very interesting comment to Joshua. He says, I've heard everything that they've said when they've said, We will serve the Lord alone. He said, Oh, if that were true. 
the direct uh, exegesis of that particular statement of God's is, I wish that were true, yes. that they would always be faithful to mm. me. And of course we know that during the lifetime of Joshua and Caleb and all the elders who had seen the marvels God did for them in Egypt, as soon as they were dead, they were worshipping idols. And uh, we have the same issue in 2008, me. I'd also like to bring another aspect of uh, this situation with um, God's chosen people. And in this case we're talking about Israel, but we're talking also about the spiritual Israel for the day we live in. Israel, they traveled around many places, countries, cultures, traditions, and they were caught into those traditions rather than to listen to the voice of God. That's why we are going today to look more into the images Mm. of unity. Mm. I mean, even if you come from different culture, even if you live in a different, uh, you know, setting, God's word and God's message is the same for everybody, for everywhere. Mm. And that's very important because when we start to watering down the word of God because of our surroundings and cultures, then we start to be different. Then we start not to have that unity which God wants us to have. But you can have it. You look here in our panel today, we have got one, two, three, four, five, six different cultures mm. here in this very room. And yet we can be united because we have one purpose and we love the Lord mm. and we have mm. faith in him. Mm. One of the key points uh, out of our study on the people of God, and notice the word people. This precludes, I believe, individual Christianity. I love the Lord, but I don't wish to be connected to his body, mm -hmm. his church, or anything else. There is no place in either the Old Testament or the New Testament for that sort of individualistic thinking. We are connected to a group of people. They are not known as God's persons. They are known as God's people. Mm -hmm. And I think that that point is, is very, very important. Rowan, were you yeah. going to make a comment? Yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, if, if you want to look at it from a, uh, an, another uh, point of view, uh, I, I try to think of it as this way, that, you know, all people are united, or at least this pack of unity that brings unity in all people comes can be, you know, broken down into only two categories. The first one is experience, and the second one is promise about the future. Uh, let me explain a bit. So... I've I've seen and I've read of uh, say for example um, uh, some air crash survivors. Yes, they've gone on to form a group and they meet regularly. You know, because what they what do they share? Bond. They have a share. The bond was sparked by a common experience. And if I am among them, I'm an outcast. I don't <coughs> have that experience of being a survivor of an air crash, right? And that, that's, that's what brings them together. And for us as Christians, we have a common experience of having, you know, seen the promises of Christ fulfilled in our lives, mm -hmm. that he can change us, that he can, he can, he can bring us to, to become different people. And that common experience in Christ is what brings us together. Mm -hmm. yeah. But another uh, spark which sparks people to, to bring them together in unity is actually a future, um, a promise. And, and to give you a, a real life example, I, I, I've seen, um, you know, some of those con conscientious ob objectors who maybe they are fighting against the, the destruction of trees and so forth. And I've seen people walk in a group and stand, and stand before a bulldozer and say, you bulldozer, you're not passing. We are standing here. I mean, whether you, you agree with their cause or not, but, but you have to agree that these guys are really serious in terms yeah. of what they have. And, and what brings them together is because they share a certain future that they want. They share, they share a certain promise that they want to achieve in future. And we also, as Christians, we have a common uh, knowledge of what the future will be and that brings us together with a common promise and that promise is that our Lord is coming again to mm. take us mm -hmm. home and that binds us that puts us together so strongly that we cannot be parted mm. because of that promise thank you Rowan that is uh, we really appreciate that comment Will you read a, a text earlier on in First Peter 2 that we were all observing it said who has called you out of that you should show forth the praises mm -hmm. of him the, the Greek word for praises is excellence. As God's people, as God's peculiar or special treasure, and incidentally, the term peculiar 
in the Greek is not the colloquial expression that we use today. We use the colloquial expression when we talk about someone being peculiar. We are suggesting that they're either um, lacking mentally mm. or they are strange or uh, either by their behaviour or something else. The Greek word for that is simply my own special possession. Yeah. It's got absolutely nothing to do with a person's individual peculiarities. Mm. So the term peculiar here is important, but as God's people, we are called upon to display excellence. I believe this is excellent spiritually and morally. What is it that is going to make a difference to our world in 2018? What is going to make the difference, I believe, is the excellence of Christ revealed in our lives. Mm -hmm. The excellence of our moral standards, the excellence of our business dealings, the excellence of everything that we stand for as God's special treasure. Mm -hmm. Let's move on to our next analogy, which was the household of God. Any thoughts on uh, this particular one? It does give us a text from Ephesians 2, 19 to 22, but if someone was to summarize that fairly quickly, what would you uh, say that relates to? Well, I think a household is, um, is is brought together by love. You know, uh, the members of a household come together because they love each other. And not just that, there's also a structure. Rowan, just breaking in just for a second mm -hmm. to, be, to keep you going. Mm -hmm. How do we relate to all our listeners who maybe come from broken homes where the, this love is not displayed? Mm. There are so many homes today mm -hmm. where love is not displayed. How, how do you see this love yeah. that you're talking about being displayed? Yes, and I think that's basically the antidote to, to a lot of uh, those uh, you know, social problems, if I may say, or social challenges that we have around the family in that you know, we... The, the symbol of the household, you know, as as as, a, as an analogy to what God would want us to be, when that is broken down, the relationship between the people is not is not as strong, and the unity cannot come in. And I think if we realize that um, God would want us to live within a household situation, within a family, uh, with, where there are relationships, where there's a structure, where where there's social support, if you like, among the members that are in that group, that is a good way to bring the different people who are involved in that family together yes. and cement them and, and bring them in, in that unity. Well, thank you. Nick, you have a thought. I just want to say in regard to family, unfortunately in our time we understand family most of the times like, uh, um, you know, two people or a few people living in in between four walls there and that's a, a family. Actually family it's a community. Mm -hmm. And that's important because uh, sometimes when we see suffering in, in uh, modern families, they have that struggle inside and nobody cares about that and they don't find answers there. Mm -hmm. yes. But if we think of the family as a community, then when somebody is suffering, some other people will come and cheer them up, let's say, or help them around. And that's community. Unfortunately, we're missing a lot. And that's the enemy's plan to isolate Mm. You know, this in, in groups or in, in small, small... Um, to in, fragment. Mm. To fragment, you know, mm. and to be very individualistic. Mm. Yes. Mm. Thank you. Lydia, I think you were going to make a comment. Yes, mm. in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 to 22, it says that we are not longer foreigners and or aliens, but we are fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation which is Jesus Christ himself which is the chief cornerstone mm -hmm. so chief cornerstone he is the examples for us mm -hmm. so what what was the cornerstone meant for? Can you share with our listeners? The corners what was the purpose of a cornerstone? Yeah, yeah, the the chief cornerstone. It means that the cornerstone is the the first stone which is placed on the foundation. Helen, did you have any thoughts on that? Well, I was just thinking about that whole text in Ephesians. It talks about the building sort of fitly put together. There's cohesiveness, isn't there? Mm. Um, that there can't be if there's no cornerstone. That's exactly right. It's interesting where it mentions in that text that um, Christ is the chief cornerstone. It's only mentioned there, and I think in 1 Peter 2.16, that particular phrase. But we need to look at it and realize that the church is not a pile of stones. 
and I think this is what was trying to come through in that text. It's not a pile of stones. It actually has form. It's not put together by accident. It has form and cohesiveness, each stone in its proper place coming from that cornerstone. Mm-hmm. That's the foundation. It has to be the foundation for it to be correct. And that uh, that would reveal, as Will read in First Peter 2.12 earlier, that would reveal to those who are not in Christ the unity of yes. the body of Christ. Yes. That the building, the stones, are unified. Yeah, it's not. It's not the Others pile of stones, though, that makes. That. It's not the pile of stones, but the it's the unity yes, of the, the stones. Pe- yes, and the stones yes. being the people. Lydia, sorry. Also, in First Peter uh, chapter two, verse five, it says here that you also are like living stones that are built, being built into a spiritual house. Yes. So we, as Christians, we are. Like a, um, this metaphor that it says here that uh, we are like living stones, which um, is it's a quality of uh, permanency and uh, so- solidity. So a stone is not strong on itself, but a stone becomes stronger when it's built it together with some other stones mm-hmm. in a foundation. Thank you. So we Thank as you. Christians, yeah. we cannot yeah. live alone on ourselves. We have to live together with others. Mm-hmm. I think the key there is... Um, the stones fitly joined together create a um, solid structure. Um, I've watched a three-year-old build with Legos. And uh, I'll tell you something, uh, (laughs) that building that is built uh, is higgly-piggly all over the place. And the higher it goes, the less stable it becomes. It uh, has pieces jutting out this way and that way because it's not putting the whole thing fitly joined together with design. Yes. Yeah. And uh, the whole thing of, um, of stones built together next to a cornerstone makes me think of years ago when I visited a church in the middle of a week and uh, found, uh, I thought I was alone, and then heard a knocking sound, and uh, I walked around the side of the church into a narrow alley, and here was a gentleman who used to be a builder. He was chipping out some bricks at the bottom of the building that had become uh, salt-damped and crumbly. And I asked him, what are you doing? Is this not going to compromise the structure? He said, if we put in new blocks or new bricks it actually strengthens the building and it it seems to me as if uh, God has the ability to replace stones even after a building has been put together. Thank you uh, Helen. Yeah I'd just like to comment on that text that Lydia brought up I love the phrase that says, "Ye are also lively stones." Yes, you know, yes. to me that we'll touch on that. that really did hit home yes. when I read it. Lively stones, we're alive, yes. but what keeps us alive? It's our union with the living yes. Christ, yes. our yes. devotion. We are united by devotion. But that lively stone part says to me, "We are continuing in this manner. Mm. We're not stagnant." We yeah. are in motion. Helen, you've taken the words out of my Sorry. mouth because the question I was going to ask the panel is simply this. Is the building now complete? The mm-hmm. answer, I believe, is no. Mm-hmm. The building is being constantly added to. Mm-hmm. New stones mm-hmm. are being added in. Nick, you had a comment. And also to add on that, uh, as a, a building is still continuing to be raised, you know, yes. also touching with what uh, Will just said earlier, I mean, myself uh, as a carpenter, you know, and being involved with uh, buildings, you know, I could see and understand some of the principles which mm-hmm. you need I'm to sure you to take, uh, you know, attention when you build something is you know you mentioned helen about the pile of stones you know a pile of stone they are the reason they are a pile because they are not interconnected they are not upon each other they are not glued together with the uh, things which needs to be glued you know and in a building actually when they start from the cornerstone the cornerstone keeps all the structures together because all the structures is interconnected is not just brick next to brick uh, or stone next to stone is stone upon stone you know it's just holding together and that's very important analogy for the church for the for God's people today because we find ourselves today 
to be very segregated, to to think, okay, you know, but yeah, you understand your way, how to to live a spiritual life. I understand my way, how to do that. In the end, is if we love God, we all get there. Mm. Actually, that's a very big deception which Satan uses yes. because. God wants us to be to follow His directions, as we uh, talked a bit earlier about Israel and how they find themselves worshiping idols and do wrong things. Why? Because they are not. They forgot that they need to be connected with God and with each other in everything what they do. Yeah, Will, I believe you had a comment, and then Rowan. I spoke to a historian once that had a special interest in the ancient buildings. Yes. And I asked him the question, how did, what sort of uh, concrete or cement did they use in those days? He said, uh, you'd be surprised by my answer, but um, when they destroyed nations and uh, fought in war, they used to take the blood of those nations. Really? The dead, yes, and uh, mix, mix that it. with the... And apparently it became a very effective mortar. Well, whether it was true historically or not, it made me think that in the structure of the building of the church, it's really the blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice which holds us together. Yes, mm. thank you. Mm. Uh, Rowan, I think you yeah, had a comment. Yeah, yes, uh, um, just to comment on what uh, Nick said, because he touched something that is really in my heart a long time. Uh, when we go to Genesis 14, we, we hear of Abraham, and we know that Abraham had, uh, at that point, we, we, we know the record says there are two sons, which was Ishmael and, um, and Isaac. Uh, but it is said that when, when Abraham went to war with the kings, he actually armed 318, and um, it, it just says he armed 318 born in his household, so, and they were trained, which means to me it sounds like Abraham lived in a very large community. It was not about his immediate children mm. and his immediate wife. It was it was a bigger community that, yes. he, well, the Bible calls them servants. But I think they, they were, they were, they, their relationship with Abraham was much more than just being servants because they could be trained and they could go out and and, and fight on behalf, mm. you know. So so they were literally a small nation. Okay, and I think that's something that is lacking in the world we're living in today because we, we are, we are bringing down not just to the single family unit, but even down to you know single individuals within the family unit. But but it seems if we can if we can go beyond our look of the household as only the immediate family and look at the broader you know the broader community as part of that. And 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 I can safely say that maybe a couple of hundred years ago that's how we used to live. And, and that the modern situation has brought us out of that. Mm -hmm. My next point is on the um, on the standards, uh, which you commented again, Nick. Um, and one of the buildings that was built is the altar. It was actually a building built of stones. And and it is interesting that the Bible says that when the altar was built, the stones would have to come to the altar already shaped up. Yes, because there was no hammer to be had. When, when, the, when, the, when the altar was being built, it yes. has to be, in other words, the stone had to be of a certain standard mm. Mm. before it came there. Otherwise, it would not fit with the rest of you know, the stones yeah. that are being used for the altar, yes. which, which emphasizes the necessity of standards that we all share and, and agree on. And, and this is mm. a concept which does not uh, exist only in the church, but it, it exists in every, everything in life, even outside the church, right? There's a standard size of tiles. There's a standard mm. size of a bed. Sure. There's a standard, there's a standard, for, there's even a, an organization which is responsible for standards because when standards are there, it's easier to have yes. that unity in terms and of different people. There's yes. cohesiveness between mm. different people, even if they are located in different areas. They mm. can be, brought together because they have a common standard and the mm. church also needs a common standard which they agree which comes from from Christ Amen. here's a thought that uh, regarding the household of God for our listeners and also for our panel when we go back to when the Jews returned from exile they rebuilt the city of Jerusalem and rebuilt the walls now their enemies believed that that would not be possible. In fact, one of them dismissively suggested that the wall you're building is so weak that if a fox leant against it, it would fall over. Mm. Now, in the spiritual sense, what we've talked about so far in our Bible study is this. The spiritual temple, the spiritual household of God, and we come to the temple in the very next section that we're coming to, 
this building, this spiritual building that is built, being built up, will be to not only the dismay, but the astonishment of those who are observing it. Mm. Because they will not be able to explain physically how this unity, this cohesiveness, and this common objective are coming about. It can only be explained by the Holy Spirit dwelling within the individuals that comprise the building. Mm. For those who don't know God, for example, in this passage, Paul combines two images of the church. So one is the inert one, a house of yes. building and stones, mm -hmm. and the other one, a, house, a household of people. It means people, Christians. So... Um, a stone, as I said before, is not very valuable by itself, but when it is bonded with other stones, so it becomes a structure that can withstand the storms of life. So, this is a metaphor that we can apply in our lives. No Christian can be a stone alone, but must be associated with others in the fellowship of the household of God. Uh, for an uh, edifice to be solid, it must... Uh, rest on a strong foundation. The strong foundation in, in the Bible is Jesus Christ, who is the cornerstone that we discussed before. So this, uh, the church is really about uh, Jesus, only Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, and return. So the church forms a community of believers united to share the good news about Jesus to the world. So the church agenda is Jesus. Who is he, what he has done for us, and what does he in us and what he offers to anyone who will accept Jesus as Lord. So thank, church thank is us yes. people in the church yes. of building yes. living we, stones. Yes, hello. Sorry, may Sorry. I make a no, comment? No, you may I know you want to get on to the, no, the next section right. and you mentioned the word that's temple mm -hmm. but that is actually in that text we just mm, read, Ephesians is. 2 19 to 22. It finishes off by saying uh, in whom all the building fitly framed together grows unto a holy temple in the Lord, in which in whom you also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. And in looking at that, it reminds me the holy temple of the holy sanctuary. Mm -hmm. You know, in the wilderness, it was peculiarly a place for God's presence, yes. manifestation. So yes. the church um, of God is the temple in which he dwells. And I read the statement, I thought it was good. It said, everything that is touched by the hand and presence of God is hallowed, so that this sanctuary or holy temple is wherever he is. And I thought, well, that's interesting, because even with the Gentiles coming in, they were built together to be... Um, a habitation of God through the Spirit. Yes. Other imagery, or the next imagery that we're going to look at, remember so far, just to summarise what we've looked at, we've looked at the people of God and found that we are a peculiar treasure. We have looked at the household of God and we have looked, now we're going to look at the temple of the Holy Spirit. And this can be applied in two ways. It can be applied individually, but it can also be applied corporately, as in uh, God's church. I wonder if someone could read First Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 17. Rowan, could you read those couple of verses for us, please? Sure. Perhaps read yeah. verse 9 before you read 16 and 17, just to see the connection between the two. Verse 9, it mm. says, For we are laborers together with God, you are God's husbandry, and you are God's building. Verse 15. If any man's work shall be bent, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Yet so is by fire. Know you not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. And 17 as well, thanks. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. All right, this is a very interesting uh, verse that Rowan has read. Mm. What we have just read, uh, Rowan, is that if anyone defiles this temple, what would we understand by the term defile? Because if, as you say, Ligia, we're not talking about a building as such, in other words, a building of stones and masonry and bricks and mortar and all, we're talking about a spiritual temple, what would this defilement consist of? As Rowan read uh, in his version Bible, so it says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? So it means we as Christians, as God's peculiar people, we are his 
holy temple. Mm-hmm. And who dwells in it? In and the Holy temple. Spirit dwells mm-hmm. in us. So, uh, it means, uh, it says here, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is sacred, and you are the, and you are that temple. Mm-hmm. So, as me, as a temple of the Holy Spirit, we have to take care of, 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 of myself. You're talking physically now. Physically yes, yes. and spiritually. And spiritually. And spiritually. Mm-hmm. Because if I am a holy temple of the Holy Spirit, I have to live in a, such a way for the Holy Spirit to find pleasure to live in me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If not, yes. the Holy Spirit is not coming to live in me and with me. Mm. So, yeah. I was just, yeah, uh, I think Lija already um, touched on that. Uh, what I was thinking to say here we we see we talked about community we, we talked about God's people and we come back to even look at ourselves and our own body because we need to take care of this body which God created to be able to reflect his image and yes. his love through other people now how can we and probably we'll, we'll uh, maybe go to some different texts uh, to even unveil a little bit more but we're talking about uh, how to take care of our body from a health point of view. Because people today, they do whatever they like. And they say, you know what? It's my body. You know, I can do whatever I like with my body, which is not true because this body is not ours, as the Bible says, belongs to God. And from that point of view, I believe that uh, uh, we need to pay attention to, to the health requirements. And there are uh, lots of things I can mention, you know, like I used to be a smoker myself. And I know how I damage, you know, my body. I used to be a drinker. And I know how, uh, uh, what effects that brought into my life, not also mm. in my body, yes. but also uh, in, for the family and so on. When you are aware of those things and you take a stand to change your life, then you respect this temple where the Holy Spirit, as Lija just mentioned, is supposed to live mm. and to to direct us in all things. Helen, I believe you... Yes, I'm totally agreeing with Nick, but I think we've just jumped. Um, Would you like to take us back to... Well, let's come back to that. You Mm -hmm. know, let's not Mm -hmm. ignore that. Mm -hmm. But I think we've jumped because for me, when I read this text, and it's a a sharp warning. Very. You know, the the Jews were told not to destroy the temple. Mm -hmm. And I believe that we're also told not to put our churches down. Mm-hmm. Not to destroy. It's a place where God dwells, and we're not to spoil it. We're not to have divisions and controversy. We are to be united together in the love of Christ. Mm-hmm. I believe the defilement that it is talking about is primarily spiritual defilement mm-hmm. in the sense of criticism, yes, which brings about division. Mm-hmm. Um, and we gossip. Need, we and need all to qualify those. that comment. There yes. is constructive criticism mm-hmm. and destructive criticism. Mm-hmm. But there is also um, a lot of gossip. There's also a happens. lot of gossip. Yeah. Um, this, to me personally, is a very severe warning yes. not to speak ill of our church leaders yes. or of our ministers Absolutely. or of our fellow church members. Yeah. Christ takes this body of his, this temple of his, so seriously mm. that he says that if you continue to divide and splinter this, you will be destroyed. Yes, it's I don't believe strong. it's just talking, Nick, about your physical destruction. Yeah. I believe it's being talking about ultimately your spiritual destruction. Mm. And it's interesting how then, as we go through further into this lesson, how then we come into the body you know, yes. the individual mm. members, We're getting the parts. There, Helen. Mm. Yeah, no, but I'm just saying that's yes. the progression mm. that we do. Rowan, I believe you had a comment yeah, that you wish yeah. to make. And, mm. and, and I think uh, the context of what Paul is talking about um, in First Corinthians in, is in, can be found in First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, which reads, uh, You are not you are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and division, divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? So, so that, I think that is the context yes. uh, which Paul then is addressing and say, don't defile the church of God. Don't, by, through your division, through your strife, through envying, don't, dis, don't defile the church of God. And to defile, uh, besides meaning to destroy, it also, to me it also means to bring some corruption, yes. to, bring, to, to plant some corruption into the church of God, which will destroy the body. And that is what Paul is strictly, uh, I think, more primarily dealing with. 
to ensure yes. that we, we 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 do away with strife, with envying, with divisions, and with the carnality well. of of uh, you know mm. of how we walk uh, as people. Because if we bring those, then the unity, uh, the, the symbol of the, the the temple of God or the house of God or the the people of God, that symbol will then be destroyed. Yeah. Mm. If we go back to First Peter two and verse twelve that Will read. Um, to summarise where we are at this particular point in time, the greatest evidence to those who are not in Christ, not his peculiar treasure, not his special people, is the unity in the body of Christ. Now, when that unity is fractured, people simply look at uh, the church, they look at the body of Christ and say... Who would want to belong to that? Mm. It's no different from what we are. Yeah. Will, mm. I think you had a comment. Thinking again about the body and uh, the family of God, um, we've heard that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone and that yes. each one of us yes. are bricks or stones. I can't get my mind off uh, the, the, um, the middle stone in an arch uh, yes. called the keystone. Yes, that's right. Now, Jesus isn't called the keystone in Scripture. However, if by criticism or attacking you you compromise or weaken the keystone, the whole arch falls in. Good point. Mm. Good mm. point. Thank you. Okay, we're moving on to yet another, another image, folk, the body of Christ. And we find this in 1 Corinthians 12, from verse 12 onwards. But if we turn over there as a panel to that particular statement, I'm sure our listeners have read this chapter for themselves many, many times. But one of the important things that I see here and and that we can now discuss is it talks about um, unity, of course, and the necessity of all the body parts functioning together but I would like someone to read verse 11 um, Helen can you read First Corinthians 12 verse 11 before we move on to uh, verse 12 and what is subsequently sure. revealed it says but one and the same spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually as he wills how important Helen do you see that text as being in terms of the spiritual gifts that God has given I think it's extremely critical I think that text is very critical because it Does is it say that everyone will be given the same gift? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It says distributing to each one individually as he wills, as the Holy Spirit wills. Thank you. Uh, any other comments on that before we move on? When, the, when you go down to verse 12, mm-hmm. and from there onwards, um, we are starting to um, run short on time, folks, so we will keep moving. But we find that if you look at the body, there are certain parts of the body that are very, very obvious. I'm talking about a human being now. The hair, the eyes, the face, the nose, the legs, the arms, etc., etc. But some of the most important parts of the body, we would call them the weaker parts of the body, are actually protected, are they not? What analogy can we draw from this within the church? Often in churches we tend to, maybe unconsciously, have almost a hierarchical structure, which I believe is not in accordance with what... uh, the Lord wants us to do but sometimes we tend to overlook uh, certain members in the church who seem on the surface not to have a great deal of talents or whatever mm-hmm. we, we tend to not dismiss them but we, we just pass over them fairly lightly mm. the suggestion here to me and I'm happy for your comments is that the weaker members should be given special care and special mm. attention mm. what comment have we got in regard to that you're really right because and a good example is that when when one part of the body is not feeling right, you know the rest of the body reacts to that, even yes. though they have not been specifically, uh, you know, uh, attacked by whether it be a disease or whatever it is. And and when your tummy is not feeling well, you feel a headache, but it's not the headache is not your head is not in your tummy, uh, because everything is interlinked. They work together. They work as one unit. And therefore, what happens here ha- happens to everyone else. Uh, just like in the church, also, what what should what happens? Anything, any 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 good thing, whether it be a good thing or a bad thing, that happens to one member of the church is happened to all of them. And the Bible even goes on to say that don't just mind those things that are your own, but mind also about you know things that affect everyone else. But going beyond that, when it comes to protecting the body, okay, and I'm giving this example not because I like it, but 
is, is the easiest I can find. Uh, if 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 there's something that seems to be attacking you, your face, it's your hand which goes on to protect your face. Mm. So your hand somehow involuntarily reacts to protect your eyes or, or to protect your face or to protect yes. anything from attack, although it is a different organ, mm. it is a different member of the body. So the same, the same thing that you're talking about. It functions in harmony with, with, with everything yes. else in yes. order to protect us. Mm. So, so the weaker members, even Paul, I think at some point, actually says uh, yeah, you, you need to take care of those who are weaker in faith. He so those who are stronger need to be able to uh, take care of those who are weaker who are weak. because we are all together mm. as one. Thank you. Will, I think you were going to make a comment. As Adam um, rose from the dust when God created him, um, there were no missing parts. No. You know the hypothalamus, they're vital to life. Yes. The uh, pancreas and everything was in place. Now, these perhaps are the what we but would call the lesser organs, aren't they? Yes, these are the lesser members. We always see the eyes mm. and the mm. hands, and we think of the strength of the church, of those people. That's The focus is on them all the time. But undergirding all of this is uh, what God has put together, mm. is people... I, I for example, think of the back-breaking work behind the scenes of a lady that cooks every day yes. for the poor. Yes. Sure, that person is not in the spotlight, but that person is a vital part of the whole body of Christ. And this is how God intends it to be. Mm -hmm. Some of them are more honored, but some of them less honored. They're in the background, but doing a, a function that is every bit as important yes. as apostles, mm. prophets, or teachers. Mm. Absolutely. And mm. I think that mm. we need to give recognition sure. to every single part of God's mm. gospel. Nick, you I mean, an example which uh, we can learn from Jesus himself. Uh, I mean, he was uh, quite a high profile for the time, you know, uh, he, lived, he lived in, because uh, lots of people were... Uh, looking at him and his ministry but he bound down before the disciples to wash their yes. feet yes. why yes. because those disciples they need to understand also humbleness they need to understand because what happened in between them they were starting to have a bit of uh, mm. you know arguments and stuff like that doesn't mean when we're talking about uh, parts which need to be more protected or, or covered we sometimes we all only think about you know people who who are quiet or people who don't have a say or things like that, you know. But it's not that way. And Will, I think he mentioned, even people who are weak spiritually, we need to take extra care about those Protect. people and protection, mm -hmm. not just to be judgmental and say, you know, poor people, you know, they, um, yeah, they, they haven't reached yet the stage of understanding this and that. I mean, those people who are blessed with talents, to nurture and to grow the family. They should put all their capacity, you know, into helping yes, others. Yes. And the, the other way around. And I think it was very, very true what we just pointed out. We live in a time, in a society, when churches are starting to be very segregated. Uh, and I heard about a lot of times talking about, I'm not sure if I use this word, it's a good one or a bad word, but, you know, uh, people talking about cliques in the mm. church mm. Yes. you know that's a not not a, uh, the desire of god yes. to see that happen among his family he wants to see everyone taking care for the best of others yeah thank you nick helen i, I think you had a comment and yeah, Lydia. just, just very we'll short move comment. on to our last analogy when i was thinking about this <coughs> i I'd, I'd like to go back and see why why this was brought up at that time in Corinth and if you look at how things were in Corinth there were disgruntled people in oh, the yes. church some of them they wanted to be teachers they wanted to be the ministers and what have you but God had appointed them what they considered a lesser role yes. and I think this is good counsel in here um, given not just for them but for every yeah. one of us you know at the foot of the cross the ground oh, is e even we are, is. you know people say that yes. and I think we need to remember that none of us uh, are better than others. We should never mm. compare ourselves, otherwise we feel superior or inferior. Yeah. Thank you, mm. Helen. Sorry. Lydia, did you have a very brief comment on that? Uh, yes, uh, as I understand from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 till 26, it says that the church is compared here to the body of Christ. Okay, for as the body is one and has many members like hands, eyes, ears, and so on, but all the members which are Christians compared to are one body. So being many 
are also one body all in Christ. So, just as a body is a single unit that is made up of many different parts, each with its different functions and responsibilities, this is the church as the body of Christ. So, it means unity in diversity. Sure. But yeah. in this diversity, this diversity should be molded by the Holy Spirit as a force for unity, revealing the truth despite this differences we are all in in mm. jesus christ yeah, thank you mm. our very last analogy uh listeners for today is the uh, most interesting one in regard to the subject of unity it's talking about sheep and shepherds if we could summarize very quickly what how do you see unity where do you see the unity coming in between a group of sheep and and a shepherd particularly as shepherds and sheep in 2018 have very little meaning for the average person in the street because very few people have ever seen a shepherd and sheep in operation. A good, real shepherd takes care of his sheep. Does he lead them or drive them? He leads them and they know his voice. Okay. And they take care of of them, all of them, you know, uh, with food, water and everything, whatever they need. need And cold, yes, and enemies. And when they call them, they call them, they knew his voice Mm. and they follow him. Let a, a shepherd uh, give a bit of uh, feedback on this because for generations, you know, uh, my family, my ancestors, they we always grow sheep and a lot of sheep. And we spend, I spend a lot of time in the mountains uh, for very early, early age and I understand how that works. Uh, and as Lija mentioned, we will look over a flock of hundreds of sheep and will know each one by uh, by name and sometimes they will mix together with other flocks from other people and we can go and and just pick them up from from many others you know and when we'll start to talk to them you know in some whistling way or other things they will just come and follow follow us Mm -hmm. and that's important to the sheep to know the voice of the shepherd as jesus said you know my sheep they know my voice Mm -hmm. if if we are finding ourselves in the role of shepherds under the great shepherd you know then we need to know to be qualified to know how to look after the we need to hear the shepherd's voice for ourselves individually don't we that means having an intimate relationship it does helen it's interesting Mm -hmm. you can go on youtube for our listeners you can actually find a very interesting example and i know we're running out of time but there's a very interesting example of this man. He's got a backpack on and he's in Turkey. He goes out into a paddock. You can't see a thing. And he starts calling. Inside of a minute, all the sheep come running and he gives them their food. Mm. And I think in summarising uh, our images uh, this week, all of it is based around Christ as the chief cornerstone. The whole building is built around Christ as the chief cornerstone. But Christ leads his people. He doesn't drive them. And I think the important point, as you said, Helen, is our individual relationship with Jesus. And for our listeners, can I appeal to you to see the Good Shepherd, to hear his voice Mm. and to follow him? Can I just uh, mention a, a, a call from the Great Shepherd? Jesus Christ is asking us from Psalm, which says something like this, Today, if you hear my voice, harden not your heart, harden not your heart. And this is what I would like to also uh, take a point for me today, mm. that we should listen to the voice of the Lord. What's the voice of the Lord for today? To really not to stay with our hands crossed, you know, and not knowing what to do, but to really to do His work and call out for other sheep to be brought into the fold. Mm. He did say, didn't he, in John 10, he said, I have other sheep that are not of this fold them also I must bring. How would he bring them? By calling them, the same as he did with the original ones. Mm -hmm. Our message to our listeners in finishing today is he's calling you to follow him. What is your response? Amen. Thank you very much uh, everyone on the panel for uh, your contribution for this Bible study today. May God bless you as you are uh, going to share more and more with the people in your uh, circles, in the community. And um, I hope that uh, everyone who listened to this program will take in consideration that each one of us, we have a call 
from our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And that call is that will give our heart to him right now. May God bless you. And just before we will uh, let you go, we'll just have a word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for this time that you've granted us to talk about the light that you've given us, the revelation which comes from you, to teach us unity, to teach us all the different images of unity that you've given us in your word. Yes. We want to ask, Lord, that you may bless us, may bless our minds, and that you may allow us to retain the things that we've learned, that they may be fruitful in the way that we live. We bring all this before you and ask for your mercy and your grace and your blessings. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Mm. Amen. 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 Amen.